0: This is the This Week in Marvel podcast. I'm Marvel.com senior editor Ben Morse. i got Blake Garris with me. And
1: we have basically half the team from the Avengers here. How's everybody doing today?
2: Great. Great. Fantastic.
0: That's right. we got Jeremy Renner, Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo. Guys, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Lightning round style. uh, Age of Ultron, of course, is coming out or might be out by the time we post this. We'll Mm. see. Most exciting moment from uh, filming for you guys. What are you most looking forward to people seeing?
2: Hmm. Uh, I'll say Ultron, because you know the first time I read the script, he was the one character I didn't fully understand. You know, I didn't know under- reading it. The the dialogue uh, had sarcasm and wit, and you know he, he read like a human, uh, but he's a robot and he's artificial intelligence. I didn't know how we were going to bridge the gap um, to make it work as a, as a as a character. And, and Spader just knocked it out of the park. Very cool, Jeremy. How about you? uh i i'm excited for everybody to see um the superheroes really not being super or mm. heroes Nuts. sitting around the hammer and uh, uh trying to pick up horse hammer i think is one of my more favorite things and i'm excited for people to see that
0: very cool and mark finally for you
2: yeah i love that moment too
0: just uh just seeing the 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 being just superhuman. <laughs> uh we get a chance to see these guys uh what makes them tick what's underneath the uh all the uh costumes and uh muscles, uh, and uh, what they struggle with outside of uh, just the bad guys. Cool.
1: What's been the most interesting thing? I mean, you've been on these press junkets before. What's been the coolest thing so far at this on this press store for the film?
2: The I, think, I think hanging with everybody. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's been, it's always the best part. Press, Reunion. press I don't think, mm-hmm. is, you know, we're skipping and clicking our heels to go do it, but, you know, it's great for the <laughs> people, you know what I mean? It's a lot of fun. Very
0: cool. Same, same for you guys, or... Uh, Absolutely. Easier. I
2: mean, you know, making the movie—it's nice when everyone's together on set. But a lot of times, you can go a couple of weeks without seeing someone. Yeah. Um, and, and on these press tours, you get a nice, you know, couple of weeks where every day you're doing the same thing, and you really fall into a nice groove. Because we're not getting into these suits, and we're not—you <laughs> know—it is—it's fun. We, we get to talk about something we're proud of, um, and that's what makes it kind of worth it.
0: And it doesn't hurt that the uh, the fans have been uh, ultra ultra supportive of the movie. Yeah, what kind of fan reaction are you guys getting? Just like crazy cheering, you know. What, what are some of the wackier very things? very positive, very yeah. positive. they're <laughs> yeah.
2: are really die hard. And it's not just for the movies. The majority of these fans that are losing their minds are the fans that have been loving these comic books since the time they were born. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a long time coming for them. So we're, we're, we're getting the luxury of uh, a fan base that has been die hard for a very long time, far before any of us were cast.
1: I know. Uh, last time we talked to you, Chris, you said you were a big sports fan. For the, the other two, what are you kind of really passionate
0: about?
2: Passionate about? Mm. Well, I don't know. I love what I do for yeah. a living. You know, say <laughs> that probably helps. Yeah, it probably <laughs> that helps. Yeah. I like acting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I have a yeah
0: passion for that. It's not Good. much time for anything else. Yeah. I think that's the best answer. Yeah. All right, I asked you guys earlier what was the most exciting thing you did during the movie. What was the most challenging thing you guys had to do because there's so much involved in this from the acting to the physical stuff. Start with you, Chris. What was the most challenging thing you had to do in this specific movie?
2: Uh, Those long-ending fight sequences when you're in the suit every Mm -hmm. day um, and it's getting warmer outside and, and, you know, it's... I try to explain it to people. Even the toughest workout you could have in the gym, even if it lasted two, three, even something crazy like a four-hour workout and you're exhausted, doing a stunt sequence on set, you're working out for 12 hours. You know, you're lucky if you have you know a couple minutes in between takes, but for the most part, it is non-stop yeah. physicality. And you're in this suit that doesn't breathe and you're trying to give all you have because this movie is obviously permanent and that's your job as an actor. But by the end of the day, you, know, you, you just peeling this suit off you're shedding at least six pounds a day um and then you're supposed to try and go hit the gym which is just <laughs> you, what's
0: you, the you, point you're you falling just, you just did before
2: it. before your head hits the pillow man. Man. i'm glad i'm not Captain america yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> mark what was the most challenging thing for you uh, probably having to act in uh, in my little leotard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of come out on set with yeah. all the real superheroes <laughs> in my little
2: like Chinese checkerboard yeah. pajamas.
0: <laughs> well, you could have been peeling a suit off at the end of 12 hours, so yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah mine was just really thin, and, <laughs> and I lost like a half a pound. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Jeremy, what was the uh, what was the biggest challenge for you? I didn't really find many really many challenges. Yeah. I mean, Easy
2: going. I feel like it. I mean, mm-hmm. I was having a good time. Good. Yeah, no. I was just really really excited to kind of jump into the character and, and discover new things with with Joss and um, and learn about Hawkeye for, uh, for the first time in a real way. It was wow. fantastic. Very cool.
1: I think that's it guys thanks for taking the
0: time. Oh yeah. man we We're could a, we could the ask the a million more yeah. questions but you guys got guys, you guys, you guys are, you <laughs> got you guys are very busy guys. you know what we encourage people to, to keep asking you guys questions on social media everywhere else yeah. and of course to see the movie. Is there anything you guys want to uh, mention before we let you go?
2: It's bigger, it's badder. it's better <laughs> <laughs> the right.
0: There you go slap that on a poster. All right thank you guys very much. please go see Avengers Age of Ultron. It's in theaters and this is marvel your universe
3: hello guys welcome to another episode of this week at marvel i'm ryan panagos aka marvel's agent m joined by
1: uh marvel.com editor mark strom
4: i had to remember my name for a moment
3: and we are joined by
4: uh jeremy Latcham, uh executive producer of age of ultron
3: just age of ultron we're dropping the avengers
4: i forgot about the avengers part there's so much <laughs> going on today on the set that uh i forgot that it's actually all the avengers sometimes it's Sometimes it's just the age of Ultron, and age is a lot. Yes. You know, it's an entire age.
3: And the cool thing is, today, like, everybody's here, which has been freaking awesome.
4: Awesome for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fun. But but it is always more hectic when all the Avengers are on the set, because it's, you know, everybody's got all the people that come to support their costume and put their piece of the puzzle together so it makes for a it makes for a hectic gathering on, on the set but but super fun and and kind of the most memories come from these kind of crazy days but but they're they're big <laughs> they're intense
0: Yes.
3: So we're now we're in i think we said earlier day 52 of the shoot we're more than halfway through the shoot um, how does it feel to you compared to like maybe where you were halfway through the first avengers film
4: uh that is a great question you know the problem is all the days blur. So Avengers 1 is just stored back there in the ramp somewhere as this crazy thing that happened in Albuquerque and Cleveland. <laughs> and and now here we are in England on day 52 and it's this crazy mixture of South Africa and Korea and England and I'm not quite sure what's happening. I think Guardians comes out soon. I mean it's just madness all around, <laughs> which is which is exciting.
3: Yeah. So s- speaking of that, like you why what do you think makes this film need like the wider net that we're casting across all the locations and everything compared to where we were in the first one.
4: Well, I mean, look, the first movie was this kind of crazy grand experiment. You know, we'd been building up to it since Iron Man 1. We would had this big idea. We had to deliver on it. And we weren't quite sure of how it was going to go go down and what to do and how to put it all together. So the film was ultimately very contained in the way it was produced. And so the movie has a big scope and has a big feel, but it was achieved on kind of a very contained sort of level. And now going into Avengers 2, one of the things we said was, well, we have to give the real scope. We need to see the world. And and you know, early on, Joss kind of felt like the Avengers had saved New York. We've been there. We've saved Manhattan, but the Avengers are really a team that belong to the world. So it was really important in this movie that we kind of go out and cast a wider net and see the Avengers on the world landscape. And, and from a production standpoint, that then means scouting, traveling, gearing up, shooting, posting, you know all this stuff that goes into every single location all all of a sudden has to happen multiple, multiple times, which makes for an exhausting prep period. But when you get the dailies and you're looking at them, you're going, oh, my God, that, that's a massive helicopter shot right through the middle of Korea. Oh, wow. And you really start to open up this bigger canvas. And, you know, we keep it grounded with the characters at the end of the day. The emotional connections between the characters, I think, are the small, intimate things that we love from the first film, that's the goal at least, is to kind of make it those those same kind of mm-hmm. character moments, but the scale of it all is on a much bigger canvas. And that that's really exciting as a film as a filmmaker because you get to go out and see these crazy corners of the world and bring it home to audiences to watch on the big screen and see places they've never seen before. It's really fun.
1: Yeah. You know, and sir going back to that, you talked about how Joss wanted to show like the Avengers of the world and That's right, what started this in the development process. And I was curious, you know, going back to that initial pitch from Joss, what was that for this movie? And how did the sort of development process of this over the course of the last two, two and a half years
4: shape up? Well, I mean, from the early days of of this movie, Joss wanted it to be Ultron. You know, that was something we talked about at the end of the last film. And kind of coming into this movie, we knew it was going to be Ultron. And, And somehow Ultron because of the kind of powers he has and the, the kind of the world being such a small place now thanks to technology, mm-hmm. it just made it a global story. Like it just inherently it became a global story because it's not like you're going to keep Ultron contained in New York. I mean, it, it, just by definition of the way the world works, if something happens in L.A., it's all around the world in two seconds because of technology. And so Ultron being this very much technologically rooted villain, the story just opens up right away. as you starts to tell that tale. And I think, uh, I think that, that kind of led us down that path early on, you know, that we were going to be seeing more of the world.
3: Um, so you went from Avengers to Guardians back to Avengers. Yeah. How, how, do you, how are you sane at this point? Well, uh, <laughs> you, were, you were not only, you know, going back and forth, but you were working on two films at once, yeah. right?
4: Yeah, I mean, essentially, we, uh, we knew that, you know, Avengers 1 came out in 2012, Avengers 2 was going to come out until 2015, and Kevin early on said, all right, well, what are you going to do in between? <laughs> I said, well, we're going to work on Avengers 2. And he said, no, 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 you've got you to have another movie in there. So uh, Jonathan and I started working, Jonathan Schwartz and I started working on, on Guardians together, and it was always kind of with the understanding that I would be involved, help uh, get the thing up and running, and then not be there the whole time. So that, that's basically what happened was, you know, Joss and I were working on this early on, Jonathan and I were working on Guardians early on. And then at some point, Joss left to go do the S.H.I.E.L.D. pilot. And I went with Jonathan, and we got Guardians up and running. And then J- Guardians really became Jonathan's movie. You know, he was working with James directly every day, and the two of them were on the set running around. You know, kind of the Marvel tradition of, you know, all of a sudden you're thrown on the set, just like, just like I was on Iron Man 1. Jonathan was just thrown on the set of Guardians and, you know, figuring it out. It was really fun for him. He had a great time, and I think the movies really come together. But the whole time you're running back and forth, and it's, it's fun. I mean, it's like, how can you complain? And it also helps inform everything, because you're stitching, you know, we're stitching the whole universe together, and so being on Guardians and knowing where the cosmic side is going and how it's developing, definitely, you know, you can keep it in mind more as you're developing this side of things. And, you know, as we start talking about infinity stones and, you know, how many infinity stones have been seen in the world and, you know, what infinity stones does the collector have now and is there another infinity stone out in the cosmos somewhere? you know is there an infinity stone in this movie it all starts weaving together and it's really fun being at the epicenter of that and going oh okay well this happens over here well hold on hey joss so all right so james is doing this on this movie and so we should do this on this movie and let's let's bring it all together and spin all the plates at once and hope they don't break
1: you know and actually that's something I was worrying about was with this movie going into it you know we had joss sort of in an advisory capacity on all our other films leading up to that which is something that he didn't have going into Avengers 1. So I was curious, how did that sort of impact the development of this film as opposed to the first one?
4: Well, it definitely was the case that on the first movie Joss came into it late. So when he walked in the door, he was picking up a lot of pieces that had already been like put on the game table, you know, and it was like these are the cards, we've already dealt the hand. Mm-hmm. And on this one, you know, going into Phase 2 with Avengers Age of Ultron at the tail end of it, it was definitely like Joss was involved the whole time as we were picking what cards to play. And so it made it really fun and, and really interactive, you know. And and, and and Joss inherently understood, because he's a filmmaker, I think he inherently understood that every filmmaker needs their own space, they need their ability to make their own movie. And it was never, you know, the situation of, well, I'm the consultant. I'm going to tell everyone what to do. It was very much this collaborative environment that we all kind of created together. And you know, Kevin Feige like always fosters that sort of interactive creativity, and that's part of what makes the Marvel Universe so much fun. Is because we're telling these big stories all at once, and everyone has to play nice and get along, and we all learn from each other. And I think that you know having Joss involved in that from the mix from the beginning of the mix on on Age of Ultron was really great, and I think he was really helpful you know, informing things on Guardians and and really helpful informing things on The Dark World and helpful informing things on uh, Winter Soldier. And it was it was really fun, like, being a part of that, you know, as we looked at the pieces as they, you know, came together from the outset.
3: So Josh... Uh, Josh? Joss, uh does a lot to inform, you know, everything that we're doing. He comes in with this fresh perspective. But on this film, he's the one writing it. So yeah. how did... Did you see him you know, sort of approaching it any differently or have any, you know, different reactions?
4: No, I mean, the the hardest part for Joss when he's writing and directing is there's just so much to do, you know? And I think that when you're dealing with a, with a film with one hero, you know, if you're making an Iron Man film or a Captain America film or a Thor film, you're really focused on that hero the whole time. And and when you get to Avengers, you have to be able to focus on all the heroes at once. And And luckily, we have such great actors on the movies and they really understand their characters so there'll be times when joss and i are trying to figure out the big picture of the thing and we're looking at all the cards on the wall and we'll get an email from hemsworth you know and kevin will call and say hey have you guys spoken to hemsworth i just got off the phone with him he sent you guys an email and we'll go oh oh wow oh well this that he's right well that i hadn't thought of that yeah he really knows thor really well (laughs) because he's been playing him for you know two movies three movies um, and so that's really great because, because it's so hard focusing on all the characters at once, listening to each of the actors, and knowing that they know their character and they're the ones that knows best what happens in their last film, is is tremendously helpful. So I think that helps take the onus off the fact that he's writing and directing at the same time because he has a lot of people looking out for each angle. Yeah. You know, like I'm looking at the whole Marvel universe, uh, each of the actors is looking at their character, and then Joss is balancing it all on this one plate, you know, just the Avengers Age of Ultron plate, because you can't get lost in the fact that, oh, well, we're, you know, once Joss steps into Avengers, you can't go, oh, well, we're setting this up on Captain America 3, so i got to be aware of that, and this on Iron Man 3, because at some point you just have to focus on this movie and say, this is above all, because at the end of the day, as we always say at Marvel, like, every single movie could be our last film, you know, this is, this is the, the, every time we go to the, to the gate, we want to come out with something great, so at some point you have to step back from it and say, all right, well, the rest of that, push it aside, tunnel vision, we're making one movie. Yeah. And this is the movie that matters right now. And and, and Joss is really good at stepping into that.
3: I, I think what what's also great that you guys have done is, yes, it it could be our last movie. But in many cases it's going to be someone's first movie, first exposure to what we're doing. So providing an entry point into... What we're at, this is our 11th film. It's incredible how how you're able to do that, and even on this film, with so many moving parts.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, on this movie, the thing we keep going back to is, look, let's just assume at most audiences have seen Avengers 1. Because, you know, if you look at the box office, clearly more people saw Avengers 1 than saw all the other films. It's Avengers, it was the biggest. So we can assume, we think, that a lot of people have seen Avengers 1. But we can't assume that people saw and ingested and, like, internalized every beat of Thor the Dark World and every beat of Iron Man 3 and every beat of Captain America the Winter Soldier. So we're constantly looking at it going, all right, well, let's, you No, know, Avengers is the reference point for the broader audience, you know, at most. Because we still want new people who've never seen a Marvel film to be able to walk in off the street and have a great time. And I think that this film, you understand the conceit of it enough that all these heroes are coming together. I think that works. But as we're referring back to stuff, we're trying not to refer too much back to the minutiae of the other films. You know, We don't want to disregard it. We want it to keep building on it, but we just don't want to make it incumbent on it. You know if it's incumbent on 11 movies worth of knowledge, it's going to get really tedious. Yes. I get confused, and I've been worked on many of them.: You know, earlier you're talking
1: about balancing all of the characters. And I was curious because when I was reading through it, it really does feel like each character has their own arc it doesn't feel like there are too many in there it feels like is very well balanced and what was sort of the metric to you guys of you know uh sort of figuring out if you had enough characters too many too few and sort of figuring out you know justifying
4: each character being in there well i mean we definitely there were moments in development where there were more characters in this movie then are going to be in the final thing and it was hard because we would say well and i'm not going to say what characters they were because i don't want to (laughs) get nasty emails or tweets or anything from people but there were moments when it was like oh well we could have this character in the movie and we could have this character in the movie we could have this character in the movie oh but then audiences would be really lost and so we would just back away from it and we'd say you know what? the promise of it's great but if we introduce it and we don't do anything with it then we're not delivering on a promise then it's then it's just fan service and that doesn't feel authentic and people are going to be bummed and what good is it to just hear your favorite character's name or to see them walk by frame if they're not going to get to know them so we tried to only tell a story that we could make each character in it matter and so i hope that when you see the film that every character in the movie is in there for a reason. And it's not like we just stuck in, you know, a bunch of random characters and, and had like a roll call. You know, it really does feel like we're with Wanda and Pietro because Sokovia matters to the story. And that's where they're from. And that's that's kind of the story that we're telling. And their angst and their... The, the feeling of, you know, the world being against them and the man... Not caring about their part of the world—that's part of this thing, you know. Because for you know, for the story, you know, we want little—we want the 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 little person to matter to the story, like the people on the street, like the guy that doesn't feel like the world's listening to him. That's who this movie's about. That's who these heroes are for. And I think part of the fun of Juan and Pietro is they think that they think that these heroes care less about them, and and they they have this hatred for the the system, the man, the. the the machine you know and and hopefully over the course of the story you see no no this machine cares about everybody like it's a it's for the people it's here to save people these are heroes for the people and and seeing that kind of evolution is really fun so that's that's part of why they're in the movie you know it's not like they're just there just to kind of be in the film because we wanted cool powers we wanted new characters or we had them on a list and (laughs) we can use them you know I mean, we have to check the list before we use people. That <laughs> the lawyers make us do that. But oh, and there's a list. Oh, there's a very long list. <laughs> and some characters aren't on it that we want, and sometimes we get bummed. But yeah. you know, but for the most part, we have so many great characters. And
3: we, you just talked about Pietro and Wanda, but what about the two other? And there are a number of characters in this film introduced, but the two who come to my mind most prominently are Vision and Ultron how did you guys approach those two because they're vastly different characters but both are so fully formed by the, by the end of the movie it was great
4: well I mean Ultron I think uh, from the beginning Ultron just kind of we knew we wanted to tell the story with Ultron and it, Vision was a was a bigger puzzle piece to sort of figure out and it became apparent early on that we couldn't tell a proper Ultron story without telling a Vision story because there was just this need to include Vision's story in the bigger genesis of how, you know, Ultron came to be. So we
3: were talking about uh, Vision and, you know, trying to find him.
4: Yeah. And how did that go? Well, I mean, like, from, from the outset, you know, we kind of felt we needed, uh, we needed Vision to tell the full Ultron story. So that was very much inherent in the, uh, in, in the coming together of the story. And very early on, the pitch that Bettany would become Vision was kind of bandied about and it was something you know we'd been talking about doing something with Paul Bettany in live action since early days of Iron Man you know and there'd actually been a draft Iron Man 2 where Tony went to this weird kind of dream thing and Paul Bettany was there and you found out that Paul Bettany had been the original Jarvis which was his father's butler and there was this like a whole emotional connection to his father and you realized that he kind of created this computer voice to kind of be with him as kind of his guide over the course of the story over the course of his life you know and so we'd always been wanting to do something with paul like when we cast paul it was with the intention that one day he would be more than just the voice coming through tony's thing and when the idea that he actually becomes vision the good side of tony's failed creation of ultron and tony's chance at like um redemption and tony and banner are able to build this and Thor. Then now, and you know, Thor gets involved, and all of them are able to bring this thing to life, and it is good and pure, and the right, the right incarnation of what they were trying to do in the first place. And it's because they do it together as a team that it actually works. When that idea came along, it was like, oh, well, that's super cool, <laughs> and that really kind of tied the whole thing together. And you know, it's it makes it it makes it really fun. It's it's funny. John Favreau was visiting the set today, and he saw. Hall in the full vision costume, and he turned to me. He goes, "Oh my God, what'd you do to Jarvis?" And <laughs> it was just like this great moment of, like, "Oh my God, it's such an evolution. Like so many years of this yeah. all coming together." And it's he was like, "Oh, it's so smart. I, it makes me so happy. You know, it's just fun watching it kind of come together and see that that all turn into something." That's great.
3: And then on the the flip side of that, we have Ultron, yeah. who, and I, I told you this this morning is I loved his voice. I loved his the personality because it's not. It's really not what one expects yeah. when you when you think you know a giant monstrous robot villain.
4: Yeah. Well, from from the outset, you know the first thing Josh said when we were developing the film was Ultron, and the th- second thing he said was James Spader, and you know as soon as he said that, it became apparent that this is not just we're building an eight foot tall robot that wants to take over the world. I will destroy you. It was like there's something new to be done here with this whole thing. And the idea that it came from Tony, which was something we talked about early on, you know, we knew we wanted, we hope it's a change fans embrace and that they go along with, but we knew we wanted to tell it from Tony's perspective. It's all been building to this in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. It made perfect sense that Tony's the person that that kind of instigates this situation. And there's something about Spader as this kind of interesting, you know, mirror image of of... of, of of Downey you know they grew up together in so many of the same movies and there's just this coolness to both of them that kind of permeates and I don't know it just seemed really cool and fun way to go and so yeah I mean the voice is it it really derives from Tony you know And, and it really is seeing the inside of Tony's soul in a cool way and I think that part of where it comes from and I think there's a couple moments in the script that I really enjoy where you know where Ultron says something and someone goes, wait a minute, that's what Tony Stark said to me. And you go, oh man, this is really his, <laughs> this is really a deep, dark part of his mind that's gone un- unhinged. And I think bring Banner into that and seeing Tony and Banner wanting to do this thing and, and part of Tony's whole argument is I want to, the mission is to save the world. That doesn't mean we have to do it ourselves by hand. And that's where he loses the mission, is that you do have to do the work yourself. <laughs> you do have to be a hero. You can't you can't sub it out. You can't it's not about technology, it's about people. And it's about people and people matter. And Tony loses track of that often. And that technology side of him that just runs runs amuck is always out there trying to catch up with him and it's really fun to watch.
1: Yeah. Well
4: and one of the coolest
1: things to me that I wasn't fully expecting was sort of the humor that comes out in Ultron's voice. You know, and not necessarily that he always means to be fine, but that there is just this sort of idiosyncratic way to his speech patterns. Yeah. And is that something that came out of wanting to mirror uh, Tony
4: as well, or was that from somewhere else? No, I think a lot of that is like mirroring Tony and, and seeing it kind of derive from, you know, it, Natasha says at one point he's he's been through our files, he knows more about us than we probably know about each other, and there's definitely this notion that he's, Child of the Avengers, that he was born out of their dysfunctions and their their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations, and they want to save the world. And I think he's, I think Ultron's looking at the world, saying, "Yeah, i will happy to save the place. The best way to do it's to get rid of people. They're clearly the problem. They're always on the verge of destroying the place. They're not very strong. They're not very smart. Yeah, I have a very simple solution here. It's just get rid of you guys. You're the ones that aren't strong enough. And I think that, I think that that." makes sense and i think that's ultimately probably how tony stark feels or else he wouldn't be building so many iron man suits and creating jarvis to be so powerful and and you know i think tony looks at the world and thinks people are kind of stupid like i i mean i don't think it's uh not his most endearing quality and i think he's always fighting against it and i think he you know part of his humor is his self-deprecating sense of you know worldview but yeah i mean that that voice definitely comes out of that for sure in a fun way and hopefully it hopefully it plays and it's uh it's unexpected you know and it definitely spader is interesting and he's really fun to watch perform i mean seeing him in the motion capture suit and seeing him bring ultron to life and bring these words to life you realize that it's not just you know an actor in a voice booth somewhere voicing something that that 30 guys in uh, a visual effects company created on a computer it really is bringing a character to life you know And i think this whole idea of technology allows us to bring all kinds of characters to life and an actor can give a performance anywhere is really interesting and kind of we're pushing the envelope a lot on that level
3: i think we're doing that as well more with mark ruffalo as hulk in this film
4: right yeah yeah i mean uh you know ruffalo has been spending a lot of time at imaginarium uh with uh with andy circus's gang of of crazy motion capture performers and We've built a motion capture set here a motion capture stage here at Shepperton that we're working out of a lot. And Joss and Spader and Ruffalo have been in the volume, like working on these characters and turning them into true, you know, performances. And it's really cool that, that Mark gets to play Banner, but that Mark also really gets to play the Hulk. And one of the best relationships in the movie, uh, when you see the film, one of the best relationships in the movie is the relationship between Banner and Natasha. And there's an equally interesting relationship, in my opinion, between Hulk and Natasha. And I think it's her ability to get both sides of him that really makes their relationship interesting and makes it work. And what you kind of realize over the course of the movie is she's very similar to Banner. Mm -hmm. And she also sees herself as very similar to the Hulk. I think there's a great, beautiful symmetry there that she can kind of relate to both these guys. And I think it's going to be a really great relationship. But a lot of that... You know, you couldn't do that if you can't really bring the Hulk to life. You know, you have to be able to have Ruffalo drive that performance as the Hulk if you're going to tell that kind of emotional story.
3: Um, so in terms of the emotional story, there's also this this great humanity uh, at the crux of it with, with Hawkeye, I think. And Hawkeye, for me, was the one when I was reading the script, I was like, yes, this is this is like he stood out above the others in my first read-through. Because there's so many elements there. What were you guys looking for with that?
4: Well, I think, you know, one of the uh, couple things. One, I think Jeremy Renner's an incredible actor, and we all wanted to give Jeremy Renner a great part because we looked at the first film, and everybody loved Hawkeye. And it was in spite of the fact that Hawkeye didn't have much to do. I mean, he was under Loki's thrall for three quarters of the film, he had a couple great hero moments in the back half of the movie, but he didn't have a fully developed character in the way the rest of the movie, the way the rest of the characters did. And part of that was, you know, the first film was just so big. And we had written, or Joss had written a really interesting part for, 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 for Jeremy. And then over the course of development, like, you know, things are too big and things are too long. And they started getting pared back. And his part just kept getting smaller. And, you know, we all kind of felt early on in development that we owed it to Jeremy and we owed it to fans to learn more about Hawkeye. So that was like very early on a mission, you know, from, from Joss was I want to tell more story about Hawkeye. The other thing was that, you know, with Renner, you want to give him real dimension to play. You know, and so the story that we wanted to tell, we wanted to kind of play it against type and play it against what people probably thought was going on with Renner. And so the way that, you know, and it, it's a big spoiler and we something we don't want anyone to know before the movie comes out. But as the story progresses and you find out the secret that he's been carrying with him, you know, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty unexpected. And I think that it gives this great emotional relationship. And you also start to realize that the relationship between him and Natasha was was a friendship, you know. It was, and I think a lot of fans are going to be surprised by that because I think a lot of people thought maybe there was a romantic relationship to be had there. But I think that they're really like this brother-sister relationship. And it's cool that we have a couple brother-sister relationships in the film. Because for whatever reason, it's not something you really see on film a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you spend so much time on film developing either, you know, friendships between dudes or romances between men and women. But, like, being able to develop this, like, strong platonic relationship between male and female characters is just something that, you know, in mainstream movies, it just doesn't happen that often. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, they look to each other. And then they made out, you know, and it's like, all right, again, okay. And this, it's like, oh, you find out that these guys have been friends for a long time, and there's little moments in there when they show up uh, at his place, and you go, oh, wow, there's, like, deep friendship here that you weren't expecting, that it's not, it was never romantic. It was always, like, a, a caring for one another and, like, on the battlefield, you know, and I think the stuff that, you know, whatever happened in Budapest, which I know we're all <laughs> still dying to find out, you know including Jeremy and Scarlett, who ask me all the time, when are we going to find out what happened in Budapest? We want to know. I want to know, too. We we need to tell that story at some point. But, you know, seeing all that come together is uh, it's pretty fun.
3: Where what is Where's Captain America's head at coming into this film? Because he's, he's had a lot over the last couple of years.
4: You know, uh, I think coming into this movie, Cap's head is, you know, he's trying to make a way for himself to be the, to be a leader and to be the captain of the team and to kind of keep everyone in check. And he knows that S.H.I.E.L.D. fell and he knows that he's responsible for it. So I think he has a real like sense of need to clean up the mess. And so when we come into this movie, we're, we have all the Avengers and they're all on the battlefield and they're all cleaning up the mess that they helped create. So that means they're cleaning up Fallout from Avengers 1, i.e., At the end of Avengers 1, we think that, you know, we saw item 47. We saw that S.H.I.E.L.D. was cataloging everything. Well, item 47 was the one that got away. Items 1 through (laughs) 2,500 were the ones that ended up in a small underground fortress in Sokovia. And, you know, it's very similar to to kind of how the U.S. has acted in, in the past. You know, we come to find out after, you know, the war in Iraq that we had a secret base in Poland where we were, doing all kinds of unexpected things, and we were running all kinds of secret operations. And it's a great idea until something goes wrong. (laughs) And then you go, wait a minute, what were we doing? And I think that's kind of what S.H.I.E.L.D. was up to. You know, S.H.I.E.L.D. had taken all this stuff that fell out of the sky in the Battle of New York, and they'd said, oh, we'll put it down there, and we'll experiment on it, and we'll play around with it. We'll see what happens. Well, then once S.H.I.E.L.D. falls, you now have this, like, missile silo somewhere with all this really terrible stuff that can all fall into the hands of Strucker, and it's all S.H.I.E.L.D.'s fault. And with S.H.I.E.L.D. now gone, I think Cap really takes that on the chin and says, this is our fault. We need to go deal with this. And Thor comes back and says, I should have never left that scepter here. I want to get that scepter back. It's powerful, and it's got a problem. And Tony's looking at it going, I don't know. I feel like I need to pay for all this because I don't know how this is going to get done. So like everyone's coming at it with their own kind of point of view of how do we clean this up? How do we make amends? How do we clean this mess up? And I think it's up to Cap to kind of run the whole thing and to kind of organize the whole thing. And you see him struggling with these leadership role with his leadership role over the course of the film. You know, there's a point in the movie where he uh, where he turns to Tony and says, "You know, my teammates don't always tell me where they're going," they're referring to Thor who just kind of split on him. And you just start to realize that it's not easy to bring this team together. You mm-hmm. know, and and Tony can bankroll the whole thing, and that's easy for him because Tony's genius billionaire, playboy philanthropist, you know, the whole nine yards. But Cap is just a dude, you know, and he's trying to bring them all together, and he's got good intentions, and he's got a good heart, and he's a good man. But, you know, the world's not a simple place, you know, and those are kind of simple values. So I think it's like watching Cap come together in this in this kind of situation is, is fun, you know, and watching him try to struggle with this is it's not easy. So he's coming into it with a lot on his plate and a lot of baggage, and he's kind of working his way
1: through it. Talking about sort of bringing everyone together, you know, another thing that Ray caught my attention was that at the beginning of this, uh, we kick off right away and the Avengers are already back together and fully formed, mm-hmm. um, which was sort of uh, uh, surprising to me at first considering when we last saw them, they had sort of like scattered to the winds. What sort of drove the decision to kick off with that instead of kicking off with seeing them
4: form back together? You know, a lot of that came from early structural conversations about the story and Joss saying, guys, I don't want to retell the same story. I don't want to have the same structure. I don't want to try for the same kind of vibe. And if we start the movie off and there's a problem and we got to gather the team, we're going to be doing the same trick again. And we're going to be trying to find a new way to do it. So why don't we just toss that idea aside and make everyone who's two minutes late to the movies, regret it forever (laughs) because there's no settling into your seats in avengers age of ultron you sit down you are in action it is the biggest most complicated shot in the entire movie first you know which is a gamble and a risky move and ballsy move and cool move and unexpected move by joss and we all looked at him and said sold that sounds fun you know so the movie starts off with the whole team together and then After that, you kind of slow down and catch up with everyone and get a bit of, you know, backstory and find out where people have been, find out what people have been up to. But, you know, the first image of the film is just the whole team cresting a hill in action, posed, exciting, kicking ass, like, there they go. And then we kind (laughs) of settle into the film after that. But I think it makes for an unexpected journey because you start off right out of the gate. These are the Avengers. They're a team. They're superheroes. When you saw them last, they were having shawarma after a battle. This is the next one. Go. Yeah.
3: There's, yeah. there's a great line. and I won't say it verbatim, but they're talking about, oh, we've, we've run into people like these before. Like, yeah. So th- there's the idea that there are adventures, and it's yeah. just like the comics. It's, you don't see everything they do, and you yeah. don't see every fight they fight, but there, there's a lot going on.
4: Yeah, I mean, clearly they, you know, they rebuilt Stark Tower, turned it into Avengers Tower. They poured a lot of money into building a new Quinjet, developing new gear, new costumes, new uh, uh, weaponry. They've been working, and they've been doing it with a purpose, and that purpose is to clean up all the messes that they've caused, that they've been a part of, that are the result of the fallout of S.H.I.E.L.D. going away, that are that are part of the end of Iron Man 3, that are part of the end of Thor the Dark. Well, there have been adventures. There have been stuff happening and we step into the story when they're close to achieving their goal that they think is going to end the whole thing right like if they can complete this first mission and they can complete it successfully and there could be no collateral damage you know what we 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 worked it out (laughs) things are good but unfortunately for the avengers and you know fortunately for the audience that can never be the case so we get to see what happens after it doesn't all go right
1: And going back to the tone for a second, this movie has, I feel like, a very different one from the first one in some regards. And I was curious, you know, because Joss has also said in other places, like you said, he wasn't interested in doing the same thing over again. He was interested in telling the next sort of iteration or the next evolution of the story. So what was the balance for you guys between sort of keeping what worked from the first film and trying new things that audiences might not
4: be expecting well i mean hopefully hopefully the tone works and everyone goes that was a great time and a great adventure and hopefully what works about it is it still has the same great character work it still has the same great humor it still has the same great kind of banter between the people and and the fun that happens in between them but the story itself is hopefully the structure is a different kind of structure so it's not the same sort of build-up that happened in the last film and hopefully the tone of the villain and the tone of some of the some of the the, the issues that our character dealing with are a little bit more mature a little bit darker but not in a way that i think will be you know ostracizing to that broad audience of kids and families that love the avengers but you know if you look at the harry potter films which you know being someone who looks at that kind of the the journey of these kind of franchise movies, you know, if you look at Harry Potter, audiences grew up with those movies, you know, and the the group of kids came into it uh, on Harry Potter one, and then they graduated high school as Harry Potter eight was coming out. And you look at this and you say, these kids that love this movie, they're a little bit older and audiences are growing up with it. And people are joining it late, of course, but you want to keep having this evolution for, for fans as they, as they grow older. And you want to see the story and the team and the dynamics kind of shift as time goes on. So real conscious effort to try to service that idea but still have the same kind of humor and fun and tone. And I think that this movie delivers on the thrill level that the first one did, hopefully, like, tenfold. I mean, there's bigger action, there's more action, there's more big, fun set pieces than the first one had, by far. But the, some of the themes and stuff are a little bit darker and, you know, a little bit more mature. So it's a, hopefully it's the right balance between maturing as a franchise but still keeping the roots of... Of what worked. I mean, we're really super conscious of making sure that everyone has that same fun tone, you know, because that's a a great time with movies, the first movie. Awesome.
3: Thank you, sir. Mark, you got anything else? No. Okay. That's it. Rock and roll. Um, You use Twitter a little bit, right? A tiny bit. Where would fans find you? You Can I tell you? (laughs) Hold on. Let me get out my phone. phone.
4: Let me get my phone. Uh, I I am not the most avid tweeter. Uh, I am. I want to make sure i send you the right place i am at j lacham uh at twitter.com no at j lacham is my is my is my twitter handle good
3: well there you go we'll get you a couple more and uh it's awesome thanks for talking yeah thanks, appreciate guys. it this is marvel your universe